The following is a presentation of the Chicago Bears Network and ChicagoBears.com. Download the Chicago Bears official mobile app for up-to-the-minute Bears content every day. And now, welcome to Bears All Access, your all-access pass into Chicago Bears football. Bears All Access is brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Athletical Physical Therapy and Art Van Furniture and Mattress. Good Tuesday night, everybody. Welcome back into another edition of Bears All Access. Early this week here, brought to you by IGS Energy. Jeff Joniak, my broadcast partner from News Radio 780, 105.9 FM, WBBM. Tom Thayer, Bears analyst. No Jim Miller tonight, uh, attending to a personal matter as uh, he gets uh, ready for, you know, the, uh, the, the important part of the season here, the Super Bowl and then the scouting combine. So he'll be down there as well. Mobile, Alabama, good to have you. Well, I got to tell on? you, I, I think what Jeff Jim is getting ready for, I think the senior bowl is more important than the Super Bowl. Because, oh, yeah. you know, I, I yeah, it's, it's going to be great watching. I think it's going to be a great game. I still live in envy of the guys, the players that are having this experience, either for more than the first time in their life or the first time in their life. It's such a special time in, the, in their lives, for their families' lives, for all their sur- surrounding support systems that they've grown up with or, you know, struggled through to get to this point. You're talking about Senior Bowl or those who made it I'm to the Super Bowl? I'm talking about the Super Bowl guys. Okay. See, Super I'm talking Bowl. about the Super Bowl guys because, you know, the, the Senior Bowl, you still have so much ahead of you. You have the Senior Bowl. You have the Combine. You have all the individual visits that you're going to make to the teams you kind of jockey for that position where you're kind of eyeing everybody else when you see them at the senior bowl or the combines and seeing how you fit in and um you know that's that's a big time in their lives but there's so much uncertainty man the super bowl it's it man it is it's it's the big well you lived it yeah you know better everybody you lived it and you have the great appreciation for living it but you also, again, I talk about the envy you have of everybody of what they're you know, going to go through. What if you had never experienced it and you played as long as you did? How do you think, how would it have changed you mentally about your career, about the game, anything like that, about the game of football? Well, you know, I, I have a friend, Jeff Van Note, who played center for the Atlanta Falcons only for 18 years. And I think only made it to the playoffs one time in his career. And then when we were going through the success we were having, he came to Chicago for the playoffs game and he was around the Super Bowl. And then you kind of got a reflection of seeing an elder statesman in a league that's committed his life to play in the NFL football that's never been a- able to achieve the success ultimately what every guy plays for. And there I was in my first year in the NFL and we were at the Super Bowl. So you kind of um, you gain the appreciation for the experience you're going through because of some of the guys that have never had the opportunity. Mike Ken was another guy, an Evanston guy from Michigan, played 17 years left tackle for the Atlanta Falcons, never made it to the I Super remember, Bowl. I remember a pregame show down there in Atlanta. We had you, we had Mike Ken, we had Bill Fralick, we had some other guys, all offensive linemen, all in one interview at one time at a pregame show. And I think this topic came up. I mean, it's, you know, look at Dan Marino. Yeah. This is a great comparison for Patrick Mahomes right now in Kansas City. He gets in there at such a tender age, second year, never went back. You know, that's the same thing with me. I, I mean, I was 23 or 24. We had the youngest team in the NFL. So he kind of walked out. There was a foregone conclusion. Oh, we'll see you next year. Oh, we'll see you in two years. And we are lucky, luckily enough, we did get to the NFC Championship game and got beat by San Francisco 49ers at home. Probably the worst and the hardest loss to take of any loss ever in my, the history of my career and the worst losses of getting beat by USC four times in my college career. That's the worst 
But losing the NFC Championship game is the why? Worst. Why? Why that one stings more? The NFC Championship yeah. game. Oh man, because we are ripe. We are ready. We're gonna we are gonna go and beat the Cincinnati Bengals. We you know we had a good football team. Um, you know we had we had a good performance after coming off a bad year the year before. And you know there you are. You're one win away at home in the worst weather you could possibly have, and it's all this bare weather thing that's being. And then San Francisco comes in and they beat you at home. It's it's the most devastating loss and. You know, you can see how it still sits with all Covered of us. Covered that game. I'll never forget it myself. Hey, coming up next on Bears All Access, we'll be joined by brand-new tight ends coach Clancy Baroni from the Bears coaching staff that Matt Hange has put together for 2020. It's on just a hit here on Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, proud partner of the Chicago Bears, providing electricity, natural gas, and home warranty products to over 1 million customers across the country. Learn more about IGS Energy at IGS.com. Broadcast crew here from the Bears on WBBM, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer. No Jim Miller tonight. We'll get back to him next week. And Very pleased to be welcomed now by the new tight ends coach of the Chicago Bears, Clancy Baroni. Clancy, thanks for taking some time out. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. How well, things out there? Oh, pretty cold. Pretty cold. <laughs> well, I, you're, are you in Nevada? I am, yeah. I'm I'm right outside of, of uh, Vegas. This is where my home is year round. So Okay, well you got a little warmer there. You'll get you'll you'll get yeah. back here and get you you'll know what it's all like. You've been you've been around oh, yeah, the Midwest. Yeah. Um, yes, no you know, doubt about it. going through, you know, your, uh, your career is really, uh, another indication of what assistant coaches over the course of their, or their life in football have to, uh, endure in many cases and thrive in as well. Seven, this is your 17th job with your 13th different team going back to college, not just NFL, but yes. going back to college. How the heck yeah. do you do that? How do you do it? <laughs> well, that's uh, kind of why I have a, a, a permanent home. You know, my, my wife and I have have purchased and sold homes. I want to say like 11 different States, something like that. And so uh, after a while, it just makes sense to have home base. And that's why we chose our little place out here by, by Vegas. It's uh, great weather and so forth. But I, you know, I, I, I guess to your point, uh, it is, that is kind of the gig that you're, that you're signing up for and, and hopefully you can get someplace and, and stick for a while. You know, my, my longest uh, uh, stand was in Denver. I was there for eight years, which is like, that's like, that's like two lifetimes as a football coach. <laughs> Hey, Clancy, this is Tom there, former offensive hey, lineman. In going, so I was involved in Super Bowl twenty. You were involved in. You've been involved in two Super Bowls, Super Bowl fifty, the win. Do you? So during this time, are you a football fan of the Super Bowl? Because me, I'm. I like the game, but the aftermath, I'm so envious of because I know the commitment and the fun they're having because of their commitment. How do you feel about this time of year in football? You know, Tom, probably probably the same as you. You know, and I, I, I get it. I. Uh, you know the grind that that you go through and that your that your families go through and the players and the coaches and I know how about about this time of year you kind of get that second or by now that that third win because of of uh, what's at stake. Um, you know, un, unlike yourself, I've also lost a Super Bowl, and so when you would think about all the all the stuff that you put into it, and then you get there and things don't go your way. 
that's that that might be one of the worst feelings I've ever I've ever uh, had as as a professional. But obviously, uh, you know, you're right that, that that when you do win that and all all the uh, stuff's coming down, all the uh, uh, confetti and here comes the trophy and things like that. There's really nothing else quite quite like that. It, it, great conversation about this over the years with people in my business on my side of the fence and just fans in general. You know, the whole idea of losing a Super Bowl hurts so badly that some have told me many times they'd rather not go if they know they're going to lose yeah. or if they go because it's the pain is just too great to overcome. And, you know, as a team that overcomes that obstacle, it, it is very difficult then to follow that up with a, a really good season in many, many cases, certainly in recent vintage. So the, the mental and the spiritual impact on a team, a person, a quarterback or, or a unit or whatever, how it all unfolds, is really something that doesn't get enough attention. I think. I think there's more to it than that, Clancy. No, you're right. And 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 uh, you know, the thing that, that really no one talks about is you really have no off season. I mean, you're you're playing up until February, and then all of a sudden everything kind of hits you right in the face. So as a as a coaching staff, whether you win or lose, you're right back in there the next week, and you have to look at at pre agents and so forth. You have to try to get caught up on the draft and that type of thing. As a player. Um, you know, uh, if there is any, where if you have to go in and get get something kind of tuned up during the off season, get get a scope here or there, or whatever else. Now your time has just gotten shorter to get that you know fully healed and so forth. So you know, I, I'm I'm just amazed that people like the Patriots who seem to do it year in and year out, where they have a, a very short off season but it does seem to work for them. I think there's a, a, a certain mindset you have to have going into it. I think we've all witnessed the teams who've had that, that hangover, so to speak, when they get there, whether they, they lose or not, they get there and they're not really sure how to handle that to shorten off season, either as, as a player or as a coach. You know, you're going to have a short off season because you got so much on your plate in terms of learning the terminology and the offense. But, you know, I was watching a mic'd up segment with you during an OTAs of one of your last stops. You bring a lot of energy to OTAs. OTAs. So when you get you know in front of the players the first time in OTAs, what do you like to accomplish? Because you're not going to be in pads. You're not going to be able to do a lot of the drills that you're going to have access to in training camp. So what will be your approach in OTAs? Well, the thing is, is that I've, I've always kind of prided myself in being a, a teacher first. And so part of it is, you know, I have to, I have to learn it first so I can teach it. And, and right now I'm, I'm trying to learn a, a foreign language as anyone who's ever switched teams, either as a player or as a coach, they all, they all get that. So once I get that foreign language down and I can, I can teach it, that's always the part of, of the job that I really love the most is when you, when you get the guys in there and you can, you can teach them maybe uh, new ways to look at, at the certain techniques or at certain schemes, you know, in, in this case, you know, coaching the tight ends, ways, ways to run certain routes versus certain coverages, um, ways to block certain plays versus certain fronts and so on. And uh, to me, I think, I think that's, that's, that's always fun. Now it isn't like back in the day, you know, back when, back when Tom was playing and obviously, springtime was a little bit more involved and so forth now it's it's a little bit different so there is more time on task trying to teach and 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 not have the players go through the whole you know physical part of it you know classy the tight end position itself is pretty amazing because throughout your time in the nfl there's probably been more change to the tight end position because of the u tight end the on the on the line of scrimmage tight end the h back tight end the fullback tight end so when you're talking about learning an offense you're taught you got to learn every single aspect of all the moving parts of the offense because the tight end is so versatile these days. 
You know, you're right. And and I think with my, my background, you know, and, and, and you touched on earlier about, you know, going back into college ball where I was a, a coordinator where you have to kind of understand everything, obviously, but also in, in, in the National Football League, having spent time as a as a line coach as well, where you're you're totally uh, engrossed in everything from what the running back does and, 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 and what the quarterback looks at and so forth. And that has really helped me as a, a tight ends coach. But I think that we have seen it. And going back to when I was with the Falcons, you know, 17, whatever it was years ago, and I had a guy named Algie Crumpler, who was maybe one of the best uh, point point of attack tight ends as far as blocking, but he was also a, a, a great third down tight end, a great red zone tight end, led our team in, in receptions and, and touchdowns two years in a row. But the, that position has evolved so much since then. Now you're getting a lot of guys who are, who are former basketball players or former quarterbacks who couldn't quite make the grade in college playing quarterback. So they, so they became tight ends and so forth. So part of it is also trying to restructure how they see the game and, and how they view their role. Clancy Barone, our guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, this is Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy, the new tight ends coach of the Bears you mentioned. Oh, there's two points I want to make. One uh, Clancy, did you get a good chuckle out of Tom there? Introduce himself, former offensive lineman. Don't you love that? That is well, that know, is a typical that. offensive <laughs> lineman. Yeah, there's something about you know the whole the whole moxie of that of that position. He's part of the '85 Bears. He's got a rim. I mean, my gosh, I mean, you know, right. hats off to him. Yeah, he's got billboards. He's got right. photos. He's got right. posters, and yeah. he's got to reintroduce let's, let's himself. Keep, uh, let's let's he's, not waste his time, Clancy. If you could see him right now, he is beat red right now because he he hates that attention, like all good offensive linemen. But well, you uh, know, I, I oh, want to mention, I think I think I was in eighth grade when I, when I was watching him play. So I was a, a huge fan. There you go. And to that end, you know, uh, you mentioned the tight end position in Atlanta. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the first legitimate time or at least by by name and title that you were a tight ends coach. And that was under Jim Moore. Uh, yes, exactly right. Yes. Yes. So. Well, we're talking all about these different positions. We're talking about, you know, pass-catching type positions. In, in most cases, Tom mentioned H-back, you, but the, the tight end that likes to put his hand on the ground and drive somebody off the ball. I, I yeah. forgot to write the kid's name down today from the Senior Bowl. He's doing interviews, and he says, my, my biggest thrill is not catching a pass. It's putting a, another guy on his back. And don't you love that mindset, too, from a tight end? Yeah, that 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 is that is very new. I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of strange these days. And usually those guys come from Iowa, you know. And I think Coach Ferentz <laughs> does a a great job down there with those guys, you know. But um, yeah, and, and they have a guy who doesn't care who gets the credit as long as 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 we're moving the chains and and scoring points. That's that is that is kind of cool. You know, when you think about algae down in Atlanta initially. Do, is the eye test for the tight end still the same? Because you you think of what his size and his stature was, but then when you got to move him to a fullback or H back or move him a little bit, has has the the eye test changed a little bit over the years, or is it still consistent? You're looking for the biggest and best athlete you can find. You know, I guess. Uh... Man, I guess you know to try to answer your question without being too too wishy washy. You know, I I think a lot of it depends on on your own offensive scheme. And if, if you're going to have a guy who's going to be a guy that that uh, runs the seam, you got this you know six foot six, two hundred and forty five, two hundred fifty pound tight end who's just athletic and a former basketball player and just like a real freak athlete. You're probably not going to ask that guy to get back in behind the quarterback in a three point stance and try to go iso block a six two linebacker. 
you know, he'll, he'll lose that the leverage battle almost every time. So I think you have to look at, you know, what does your offense want from that position? And that's also why you would tend to have about three tight ends up on the game day. And one guy can kind of answers this one guy answers that you can kind of scratch where, it, I'm sorry, scratch where it is you, so to speak uh, with, with all, with all three different guys. Clancy Barone, our guest here on bears all access. Uh, you, like a player, you, you have to deal with what's coming at you. And, and, and in your last stop with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, you endured what, what had to be an unthinkable scenario with the death of uh, Vikings offensive line coach Tony Sperano. And then that moved you into that role on offensive line. Uh, what was that like in retrospect now that you've had time to, to deal with that? Think about that and what that did for that team. Well, you know, uh, I, I guess to be fair, when I came in and, and Pat Shermer was was the coordinator, when I came in, you know, Tony had had some episodes with his health after in the 2016 season when I was still back in Denver. And so uh, part of what of what brought me here was Pat said, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a guy that has some some O-line background to come coach the tight ends because if Tony has to has to take a knee for a week or two, then you can slide over and take that that uh, job over until he's well and, and can come back. Uh, obviously, it was it, it ended up way way worse than that uh, when when Tony passed in the summer of, of uh, 2018, um, and and so yeah, I was I was uh, thrilled to get back with the offensive line, but obviously under you know with with, with that type of thing happening, that was uh, that was horrible for Tony for his, you know for his family and uh, for all of us who who worked with Tony and and uh, loved him so much. A lot of coaches out there do get some breaks at times, and how did you deal with yours in 2019 to uh, get yourself mentally ready for the next challenge? I'll tell you what, and it, it, it's a blessing, and, and probably very few people know the story. My my mom is 83; she's 84 now, and she'd had some some very serious uh, medical conditions. And it was it was the night before we we played the Bears in Week 17 of, of 2018, and uh, my mom had a, a six hour brain surgery. And think about mm. that at that age, and to, and to be under for six hours and to have you know pretty uh, involved brain surgery. And so at the time, you know, we're, we're kind of re- revamping the staff. And there's, there's a lot of changes and so forth. So I had, a, had an opportunity to kind of step away from football for a while, go back out to California and really be there with mom and, and help her have, have the best, you know, the best fourth quarter of her life, so to speak. And uh, I was there with her when, when she was going through speech therapy and physical therapy, and, and she's up and walking and talking again. Wow. And, uh, and she, I was just talking to her today. She is living the best life she's had in many, many years. She's back living on her own in the old, in the old uh, homestead and everything and, and just doing great. So I feel very blessed that I had a chance to actually go home and do that. I know that um, when, when my dad got sick, you know, 20-some years ago, I saw Dad. I, I want to say two days out of the last six months of his life, and that was that was hard to handle. That was that was really tough. And so I, when I had this chance to go back and, and and be with Mom, and you know, God God willing, things turned out the way they did. You know, I, I just felt very fortunate and very blessed to have that that chance to do that. Oh, it's an unbelievable story. Well, God willing, uh, she's going to watch and become a Bears fan. Make sure you get her a jersey. <laughs> absolutely, yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Clancy, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for taking some time. We'll look forward to meeting you. Thank you, Clancy. All right, guys. Clancy Baroni, Bears' new tight ends coach. We'll take a break. This is Bears All Access on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Old Spice. Never let a friend lose his swagger. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer with you. 
Here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score just got off the the phone with Clancy Baroni, the Bears tight ends coach. Impressive. Yeah, you know, I think in the last two weeks of talking to new offensive line coach Juan Castillo and now Clancy Baroni, the tight ends coach, there's a lot of experience in between those two guys. And so I think when you see the morph and the changes of offensive systems and schemes throughout the NFL and you've been around the NFL you know, for 15, 17, 18 years like the two of them have been, you know, 24 for Juan Castillo. You know, there's going to be a lot of experience that hopefully is going to cultivate some young talent up there because, you know, they're going to have to make position adjustments. They're going to have to find the right people for the job, and then they're going to have to get ready for some hard work. And, you know, it's interesting. We can't get into, you know, the the, the, the do's and the why's and the when's and the how's yet because these guys, like he said, he's still learning it. Yeah. It is. It's like learning, you know, and I try to say that to people. It's like, you know, okay, you're going to move to France in two and a half months and you got to speak French fluently by the time you get there. You have to understand what you're saying and understand what's being said. You you. know, you know, you know, that's true from a player. I mean, one of the first players that ever explained that to me in the the more modern uh, change of football was Ricky Prohl all the time. You say, you know, you're learning Chinese. Right. And. But for coaches, since they've been exposed to so many systems, and he's he's worked with uh, Jim Mora Jr., he's got all those college coaches, he's worked with North Turner, he's worked with Josh McDaniels on his staff, uh, you know, John Fox, Mike Zimmer. I mean, that's a whole lot of different types of personality schemes and so forth. Right, and you know, and as much as they don't, they you know, I remember when Adam Gase was here, and you're looking at the terminology that Adam Gase had for this offense, and then Adam Gase leaves, they bring in Dal Loggins, and I so I asked him, I said, are you going to change the terminology outside of what was being taught by um, Adam Gase, so things can, so the learning curve can be expedited? And he said, oh no, I'm not going to change it. And then I went in next the next year reading the terminology that he's using; it's different than Adam Gase's. So I think every time someone gets hired into a position of offensive authority they want to bring along their own language to help out to help out their plan and kind of you know i you know put themselves in their in their own cocoon did you have to learn much you know you i know aside from going down to miami for for that one year oh yeah you I mean you, you always you, you know kind of luckily in the chicago we are in the same system so it got it became so repetitive you never, you didn't have to sit, in, even though we did sit in meetings for three hours every night, it was just repeated information, but it was more for the new guys to learn. And then when you go down and you change teams in the middle of the year, Steve DeBerg and I came to Chicago, came to the Miami Dolphins the same day. He was the quarterback. I was an offensive lineman. And all you do is you investigate every single waking second outside of practice, learning the information so when you are in uniform, you can be called upon. And so I remember, remember Steve DeBerg sitting there all night just learning the terminology, learning the plays, learning the routes, and absorbed so much information that he was able to play within a week's time. It was the most amazing thing to watch a quarterback – but now an offensive line play, you're dealing with adjustments on defense, but you're also dealing with four other offensive linemen, the tight end and the fullback, along with all your blocking schemes. So you're learning it differently, but you have you know, obviously you don't have as much material to learn as a quarterback, but you still have to learn everything perfectly. System scheme, yes, fundamentals, they that's that's just a learned behavior from repetition. The 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 scheme, yes, but the fundamentals that are taught within the scheme, any position coach can teach those. Any position coach can teach any the position? Funda- no, the fundamentals of their position. Before, yes. Yeah. Yes. So but that's you know, the stuff that, you know, is the most important. 
With Clancy Barone, I went back and I was watching this mic'd up. Yeah, I saw it. it was with the Denver Broncos, yes. right? Yeah, with the Denver Broncos, and you, you heard the the coaching points that they just they constantly come out. You know, once a coach gets on the field, whether it's Dick Stanfield bringing our offensive line out about twenty minutes before practice to go through some little individual things, or in the midst of practice or OTAs, the coaching never stops. There is something that's being told to you, and you better be patient as a player to be able to accept every coaching point that they're telling you against any circumstances that you're going to face because all they're trying to do is help you become a smarter better player all right news of the day Khalil Mack uh, has somewhat of an injured situation so uh undisclosed injury so not going to be in the Pro Bowl I'm sure uh, it's not a big deal DC <laughs> don't care I just you know the Pro Bowl is what it is I'm glad for the guys that do get the thrill of experiencing it but it, it certainly is different. Eddie Jackson and Cordell Patterson will be in some skills competition as part of those festivities, and Kyle Fuller uh, aboard as well. Uh, and some some rule changes getting attention. These are things that they're tryouts, basically, to see how the competition committee and the rules committee might discuss it at the owners' meetings You know, after the, uh, after the season. Right. I was reading some of them. What do you think? I don't know. You know, it's, it's just hard to, you know, again, we're purists. It's hard to see rule changes, whether it's, you know, trying to think of a different way to keep the onside kick out of the game, which to me, it's still one of the most anticipated, exciting plays in football. And I don't think that changing it to fourth and 15, you know, so what are you going to do? Put a wide receiver that's guaranteed one-on-one coverage, throw him the ball and hope for an interference call. <laughs> so you have a better chance of trying to get an interference call than you do of trying to win the battle yeah. for an onside kick. I think it's silliness myself. Me too. I don't, I don't like messing around with the game. But, you know, with the with the um, debut of the XFL or the re-debut of the XFL, you wonder if things that become popular to the fan and maybe to a certain selection of players when they go crazy on social media watching it, that these are things that will get discussed along well, the way also. If you have trial and error, if you have examples of it, if you have a season-long you know, um, you know, kind of rule change option experiment, maybe it gives you a, bit, a little bit better understanding of it. Just to do things right in mid-stride um, where guys have never been a part of it before, I, I think it's kind of silly. So like last year that you guys made fun of me of wanting to watch the AAF. I'm excited to watch the I XFL. didn't make fun of you. I was I just was... intrigued by how much conversation you brought from it. You were you were you were looking for kickers is what you were doing. I was looking for kickers and the yeah. one I picked did come to the Bears but he didn't make the team. Okay, so what are you going to be looking for from the XFL? You'll be watching. I'm just looking for um, desirable competition because I, w- I was talking to um, a guy that played in my high school, Ty Isaac, super successful high school running back, went on to play at USC in Michigan. And here's a kid that I see him working out at the gym down in Joliet, and he's physically gifted kid. And he's got more desire to play football than a lot of people that I, w- that I was playing with when I was playing. I see guys out there that they want their opportunity. They want a chance. They want a chance to to be able to to be able to succeed. It's like all the conversation with the kid in, in San Francisco. I was just going to say week. every kid that wants it is now a huge fan of Raheem Mostert. And you know what, too, is he was with the Bears in 2016, right? He was. And he had a reputation of not being, not securing the football. Had some kind of fundamental. So he was a good special teams player, though. Yes. But they brought him in here to be a running back. And, and so I, I, think, I don't think it's all the other five teams that passed on him, they're at fault. It's just that if there's talent out there, you're going to investigate it to see if it fits into your plan. And unfortunately, at that point, he did it. But look how long 
it took him to right. to succeed. Right opportunity, right system, right coach, right whatever, right, right injury in front of you. Yeah, what was going through your mind when he put up two twenty and four touchdowns? You know, I remember a Tim Smith, the yeah. running back for the Washington Redskins in the Super Bowl. He had over two hundred yards rushing, and then he was never heard from again. And it's kind of amazing. It's not what you did. What are you going to do with it? And I, so I, I still, I hope for the best for this young guy. But again, his determination m- must be unlike a lot of others that didn't get discouraged to start thinking, hey, man, I should not be involved in this anymore. What am I going to do next? Man, it's like you, once you're a football player, you can't have a, sec- a second option. It's got to be your one option, and you got to do it till you're successful. Outstanding gunner as well, or he mostered the talk of the San Francisco 49ers and their win. As they set up Super Bowl 54. We'll talk about that a little bit. Get into more on the Bears here with Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer with you with Mike Chen and Chris Dickens, our producers. Welcome into Bears All Access here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I think everybody calls him Charles Dickens. Uh, probably, I don't know. Has he got a nickname, Mike? Not that I'm aware no, of. No, not that he's aware of. Okay. <laughs> Good to have you alongside. A little more than 20-some minutes to go here before the top of the hour. Brought to you by IGS Energy. Tom, throwing my, my way some questions in the break. Uh, he was watching Patrick Mahomes and his uh, lightning touchdown of uh, note that's getting everyone's attention, but the tackling was pretty poor on that right. one. It big just, time. It so just, are you not giving him credit for, for making the run? or just? No, I am. I, he, hey, he did. The, the results speak for themselves. However... If this was a regular season game and I was watching the approach of the tacklers that were able to, you know, how often do you get a chance to jack up a quarterback? I mean, once he turns into a runner, it should be your total emphasis to leave. And I mean this innocently. I don't mean it mean, but leave scars. You got to jack them up. You got to take all of your momentum and you got to get low and you got to light that guy up. And you just don't have that luxury anymore. It used to bother me when Brett Favre would scramble against the Bears and, or, or else go and try to block on a reverse or something. As soon as he became a blocker, it would be forearm to chin. Hey, we'll take some phone calls in these final 20 minutes or so if you so desire. 312-644-6767. 644-6767 here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer. Before we get into more on the Super Bowl, uh, I saw uh, this was a quote from Kyle Shanahan. It's a long quote, but it involves the center position. And the the quote basically says to get into certain personnel groupings to help someone have an angle, say on a, on a Mike linebacker, middle linebacker. So you can help your center out with the guard. Sometimes they go into a one back. Now the weak side linebacker has to walk outside the box and the angles to the mic aren't as good, but you got a center can get there on his own. Doesn't need the help. It allows you to do a bunch of different stuff to paraphrase and go on. He says, there are a lot of good players at that position, but when you have a difference maker at that position, he's found in his career that it's been a lot easier to run an offense. Do you see the truth in what Kyle Shanahan's talking about? I, I think great is great. I think if you're a great center, um, then we've had the luxury of here of watching decades of centers between um, Hilge and Olin Krutz. You think of Kelsey in Philadelphia. You think of the great centers along the way. They can do things individually that maybe getting to the second level, they don't need the guard to help them. But I don't think there's anything more beneficial than making sure that you're getting movement on the line of scrimmage to get up to that second level. And if it takes a center and guard to do that better, then 
You know, that's that's the way you get the job done. And, you know, with, you know, the bodies aren't always getting bigger on the defensive line. Sometimes, you know, you got guys like Aaron Donald that they have such superior quickness. You better limit the space that they can be superior in and have two bodies working shoulder to shoulder. When offensive linemen double team, they should never touch each other. They should both be making contact with the defensive linemen first. So I just think it's, it's how talented of a player do you have. Do you anticipate the offensive line in terms outside of new personnel coming in, the current players where they're at as the season ended might stay in those positions or not? Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting for Juan Castillo and Clarence Baroni to look at tape of how the offensive line work together because I still think Rashad Coward is probably playing out of position at offensive guard. He could go and probably be a solid offensive tackle. I think um, – the uh, Alex Bars from Notre Dame. I think he's unique and he's got experience at multiple positions. So I think during training camp, yeah, you're going to have the starting five offensive linemen going out there, but you do want to have, you know, great competition behind these guys to make sure that no one has, uh, you know, has a job already that it's going to be competed for. And I think if you have an Alex Bars, I mean, you have a Rashad Coward that can play at the positions they're most comfortable in. I think you provide competition, but I do think when they line up the first days at OTAs, they will be in the same places that they concluded the season in. Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, let's go to the phones, 312-644-6767. Mike's on the line from Byron. Mike, go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Love the show. Appreciate it. And I just wanted to ask you, Tom Thayer, as an offensive lineman, how much does a tight end like a George Kittle play into the part of protecting the quarterback, giving him time to throw something over the middle, and, you know, just make the offense – that much easier on a guy like uh, Mitchell Trubisky. You know, it's a, it is a great question because I think the tight end can be incorporated in the pass protection responsibilities. And if they are a good pass protector, you're giving more um, you're giving more help to the offensive line. You're giving more protection for the quarterback. I don't know. You know, George Kittle is unique, man. This his dad was a football player, played at Iowa. You know, uh, George Kittle was uh, coached by his dad growing up, and you can see the experience within him. But if you can have a a tight end at that position who can be equally as good as a blocker as he is a dangerous target, and I th- I think that's you know kind of hard to find. Maybe Gronk in his later years when he was you know, he couldn't run as well as he could early in his career. He probably became a better blocker because that's where he was. He was more useful. But um, yeah, those man. blocking tight ends that can also make sure you have some diversity when you line them up. That's a little bit in disguise for what the defense is expecting. Those guys aren't rolling into the league. Right, but you, you know, you just talked about Shanahan's quote about having a center who can get to the second level. I was watching some blocks by Kittle this past weekend where he was getting to the second level, and the reason the running back wasn't being touched at the third level is because of that second-level block by Kittle. So I think a tight end... They got to be able to do everything. They got to be able to line up as an H back, line up on the line of scrimmage, be able to block a defensive end. And you're not asking this tight end to block a defensive end solely for five or six seconds. You're asking them to get their hands on, make him run a wider path to the quarterback, and try to keep in some kind well, of contact. After this weekend, what you're also you know stuck with too, you know, is making sure you get guys or making sure your receivers are willing to block because those. Short little runs of three, four, five, six yards become double-digit runs, 
did for Mostart over the weekend, Mostert. And with a tight end and wide receivers having that willingness to block, it just opens things up. Well, I think that's one of the most impressive impressive qualities of Allen Robinson is he is willing to block. Whether he's going to block on a jet sweep or a screen that immediately comes to the outside, uh, um, Cordell Patterson is a good blocker. And I think Riley Ridley and these guys, that's what they're going to have to be willing to do. We, we know Ridley is a super capable receiver. But if he's going to expand his time on the field in packages where they don't know exactly what's going to happen every time he's on the field, he's got to become that blocker. All right, let's take another phone call. We'll go to Nick in Gray's Lake. You're on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score with Jeff and Tom. Hey, fellas. I hope you're having a good night. Yes, sir. Uh, I, was listening to the, I was listening to you guys talk about great center play, and it just reminded me of I, I was watching the clip of the third down touchdown. Uh, that Mozart scored on uh, uh, two nights ago. And if you watch the center, I think he down blocks or back blocks a 4-I or a 5-tech, which is, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but he got there faster than the snap got to Jimmy Garoppolo, which is unbelievable. You know that I mean, when you have that... Go ahead. Nick, I'm saying that's one of the keys for the offensive line using the snap count as a weapon. Because even if he is in the outside shade of the offensive guard, he's lined up to his outside shoulder, it is one of the more difficult blocks for centers to make, especially if there's any influence that they've seen from watching tape before. But, man, playing at home, hearing that snap count, understanding that you're going to have that instant of burst before the defensive line recognizes it, sometimes being the master of the snap count really helps you the most. And Make a block boy, of that you, you know, we're talking very specific play right now. This has got to be making you happy right now. You, you, Jay Hogenberg, Olin Krutz, and the fellas talking about center play. But, Love it. You know, it's, you know, it's different. So we had that block when we were playing for the Bears. And so we were playing against a team that I knew the defensive line coach really well. And he told us, he goes, you know, every time you guys are in split backs, the center blocks one away. And so now that block became so difficult for the center to make because every time we were in this one backfield um, formation, the center was blocking one away, and it it became predictable and more difficult for him to make. Another segment to go here on Bears All Access with Tom Thayer. Jeff Joniak and your phone calls coming up, 312-644-6767 on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Hey, you can help deserving families by donating a gently used winter coat to the Chicago Bears Jewel Osco Coat Drive at the participating Jewel Osco locations now through February 28th. Donations benefiting the Salvation Army. Jeff Joniak, Tom Thayer with you. 312-644-6767 if you want to jump on to the final 10 minutes or the top of the hour and we get out of here. Um, with the NFC North, Tom, everybody's finished up now. Obviously yep. with the Packers getting knocked out. Uh, how these teams now will be looking at the tweak their teams moving forward. Certainly a ton of conversation about Aaron Rodgers and what he might need around him. He still feels he's got a window to, to win a Super Bowl. He'll always believe that given his his own excellence. But if we go through the division a little bit, what are you looking at? You know, I, I think the the defense did a nice job against Green Bay this year. To me, it's I, I need a scheme to block the talent up front and the Packers defense. Because when you look at the first game of the year, ten to three, and then you look at the 15th game of the year or whatever it was last when they the second to last game of the year when they played Green Bay. I think Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, they created such a problem for the Bears from the first game all the way to that 16th game that they have to figure out a scheme 
of how you're going to block that front. Because if Zadarius Smith, number 55, is he's going to move all over the place, you have to have the capabilities of switching your protection mid-stride. And we talk about the value of the tight end being a blocker there. He's got to be incorporated in the mix. He's got to be a part of it. So does your running backs. But to me, if you're looking at Green Bay specifically, you got to figure out a way to block that pass attack. They certainly had a difficult time stopping the run this past game, so that, that will mute it right then and there. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you, you think about just – all right, now, you know, and then you bring up David Montgomery, you know, because I still have super high expectations for David Montgomery within the division. But to me, if if you got to think at the start of the season how you're going to finish – how you're going to win the division. So last year, all the coordinators figure out how are they going to take Khalil Mack out of the mix. And so – they all attacked him repeatedly throughout the season. And it's the same thing when the Bears are trying to figure out a plan to beat the Packers. You know, they beat the Minnesota Vikings. They beat the Detroit Lions. And although they have assets on those teams, I think you have to start at the top, figure out how to formulate a good plan of attack against the Green Bay Packers the next time you play them along with the Vikings. And with Detroit, stop the big passing game. Yeah. You know, that's always the case. What did we see on the second play of the offense game with a backup quarterback this year? I think when you look at what the the uh, the cornerbacks, what the defense has to be capable of doing, they have to get pressure on if Matthew Stafford comes back. They have to put significant amount of pressure on Matthew Stafford because if you look at the big play, the big threat speed that Detroit has. That's something that you're going to have to compete with because I don't think Matt Patricia is going to take the ball out of Stafford's hands. Once he comes back, you know, he's he's willing to throw it as much as any head coach in the National Football League. And Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, I think they saw positive things from Stafford before he was hurt. Bears have a handle on Minnesota, but it's it's always going to be about stopping their running game now. Yeah, you know, you think about, you know, you know what are the is Kurt Cousins? He's not under contract anymore. I think he's. I think he's still off. I think he's. I don't know if he still has a contract or what they're doing with Kurt Cousins. But when you oh look, yeah, he's there. When you look at the running back position, there that's the key ingredient to their football team because if you if you can have a solid running game with uh, the type of defense that they can put on the field, boy, that I mean that is a recipe for success. I know that didn't work for the Tennessee Titans because you have to have the ability to throw the ball, but Minnesota they do have the ability to throw the ball with their receivers and their tight ends are as good as there are in the division. But Dalvin Cook, he is uh, you know he's as good as running back as there is in the division. All right, let's take another phone call here before we get out of here. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven to the lines we go, and we got Luanda. Welcome to the program. Actually, it's under my wife's name. But oh, okay. <laughs> hey, she's in charge. You know it. Yeah, yeah. You're all the time. Got a question for you guys. Okay, during the John Fox era, basically, he always we always ran the ball because that's just he was an old school coach. I understand that. But we got basically the same offensive line and for the most part there, and we was able to run the ball. So I'm just trying to figure out what happened once the coaching changed. And I know, Tom, you can answer this because you're an offensive guy, offensive lineman. So I'm just wondering, why is it that now when the, when the coaching changed, we just 
can't seem to run the ball like we used to. I was wondering if you can elaborate on that. You know, you know I, I think Jordan Howard was one of the assets the Bears did have. And when he was in the same system for a number of years, he had a, the innate ability to kind of predict and how and where the holes would open up according to a blocking scheme that he's seen over the years. Um, I think David Montgomery, when you're coming as a rookie – You're trying to learn the meaning of the terminology, and then you're trying to understand the speed of the defenses and how that interacts with your offensive line. I think it's a process of development. So, And that's one of the things that we were talking about is I have higher expectations for David Montgomery um, as his career goes goes on, Um, and I think that he can be the running asset that Jordan Howard was. But I was a fan of Jordan Howard. Um, He was an experienced guy. They... Probably lost. Think they made it. Might have lost a little deception when he's on the field because they didn't throw to him very much, and that that is kind of a setback. And they went and got Montgomery, who catches the ball is equally as well as any running back out there. So um, it, it's just going to be experience with Montgomery and understanding the offense faster. Just like when you hear about a quarterback and things slowing down, it's the same thing for a running back. Why did you ask me today about Montgomery uh, earlier today off the air? We, we were talking about maybe some topics for tonight, and you want to know how often he was on the field right. on Be- what down. I, because there was time. It was that, first down was the most. Yes, but there was times on third down I was frustrated that he wasn't in the game. And with all due respect uh, to Tariq Cohen, and he had probably had more reps as the third down. I think David Montgomery is a really good blocker. He can pick up blitzes, and he can catch balls at a moment's notice. If you think of a running back that has to sit behind the line of scrimmage and help the offensive line provide the protection for the quarterback, and then he sneaks beyond the line of scrimmage. We started seeing some of those dumps beyond the line of scrimmage to David Montgomery a little bit later in the year. But how many times throughout the course of our lives watching Aaron Rodgers have we been haunted by him getting pressure on him, finding the running back, giving it to him at the last second, then a running back makes 10 or 12 out of it. So to me... David Montgomery is a is a three down back, but I would like to see him used more in those third down instances where he can really become a matchup threat. And he's a and he's yeah, I a think good he receiver. Twenty two touches on third down. That's not enough in, in twenty nineteen. But again, you got Tariq Cohen. I understand that. To me, Tariq Cohen is more of a, an immediate weapon, an immediate threat when he lines up at the line of scrimmage. I think that's when you put paranoia into his coverage because it starts immediately. When you think of coverage responsibility from Tariq Cohen when he's four or five yards deep in the backfield, the coverage doesn't start for eight or nine yards. So to me, you know, Montgomery can be more helpful to the blocking and he can be just as much of an asset in catching the ball. All right, this one I'm sure will uh, elicit some uh, passionate conversation from you. Before we get out of here tonight here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score, uh, I read that there's a, a feeling out there that you can't beat a prolific passing attack. I'm already laughing because I know with a prolific running attack. That's the biggest true or false in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl, you can't beat a prolific passing attack with a prolific running attack. Um, What's your thought? What's your thought? Well, you know, I think we probably had an example of that this weekend with Tennessee versus Kansas City. And Tennessee did get the upper hand, but but Kansas City was never out of it. Um, you know, when we were in the Super Bowl, they were so determined to take Walter Payton out of the game, in which they were able to accomplish. But it did open up opportunities for your passing game. So it's about the quarterback. Can the quarterback become a passing quarterback if he's relying on the run? Ryan Tannehill couldn't do it. And so when they took the run away, you saw that the inefficient quarterback 
the results of it. Next week, I'll be on the show from Miami, Super Bowl, breaking down Jimmy Garoppolo's 49ers and Patrick Mahomes' Kansas City Chiefs. It's all coming up. Thanks, everybody, for listening tonight. From Mike Chen and Chris Dickens, our producers, I'm Jeff Joniak. That's Tom Thayer, and this is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good night. Thanks for listening to this Chicago Bears Network presentation of Bears All Access. Podcasts are available on chicagobears.com and on iTunes or download the official Bears mobile app. Bears All Access has been brought to you by IGS Energy and sponsored by Miller Lite.